I'm Karen Lewis, and thank you for listening to Recovery Bites, real talk with recovered professionals. This podcast is about life in recovery from an eating disorder. The good and the not so good. The successes and the challenges. Episodes will include stories from fully recovered professionals about the sometimes sad, sometimes painful, but always beautiful accounts from their recovery. Not their whole story, just bites. All right, everyone, we're in for a really, really interesting episode for this week on the podcast. My guest is Hannah Boardman, and Hannah was diagnosed as a young child with a chronic GI issue. Unfortunately, that later morphed into an eating disorder, and this is not uncommon. As a result of trying to take care of Hannah's GI problems, Part of her treatment was writing everything down that she was eating, looking at the ingredients of everything that she was purchasing, making sure she knew what time she was eating, what felt good, what didn't feel good. As you can imagine, this later went into an eating disorder. So it is, like I said, this is not uncommon. And this is a really, really interesting episode. I think what is the most interesting is that Hannah had to have the strength and courage, which anybody can really, really dig in and find, to recover from her eating disorder in spite of the fact that she still has a chronic GI issue. So very impressed, really, really enjoyed the conversation, and I think you all will too. Okay, listen up. Good afternoon, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Recovery Bites, Real Talk with Recovered Professionals. We're in for quite an episode today. My guest for today is Hannah Boardman. So first, I just want to start by saying, Hannah, hello, and thank you for being here on the show. Hi, thank you so much for having me. I'm so excited to be here talking with you. I am not only thrilled, I'm actually honored that you agreed to do this since your time, it is 6 a.m. So I wanted to make sure that every listener knew ahead of time that you are recording this podcast at 6 a.m. Wow. Thank you. Thank you. So Hannah, you are an eating disorder therapist and a recovery coach, and I'm very excited to have you on because you incorporate so much into your practice. So Hannah, if you could tell the listeners a little bit about yourself and what you do, that would be fantastic. Sure. So I've trained primarily as a cognitive hypnotherapist and recovery coach. That's the main model I use in my practice. And that's a really, really great um, model to have trained in because it combines a lot of different approaches such as CBT and counseling and traditional hypnosis and behavioral psychology. So you've got all of these kind of skills that we can use with different people. And, you know, that's very much the approach I take is, you know, everyone's an individual and everyone needs a slightly different way of working. So that gives me a lot of ability and flexibility in my practice, which I love. And I've been 
a therapist for God, five years now. <laughs> the time just flies. And I've recently moved to Sydney. So setting up my practice over here and, you know, seeing lots of different clients in a, you know, a different world, which has been amazing as well. Sounds so interesting. I'm imagining you use such an eclectic approach because there was maybe no one approach that fit you for your recovery. Is that sort of how you fell into such a holistic integrative integrative approach? Yes, that's exactly it. Um, my recovery was very, very long and quite challenging. And as part of that, I literally tried so many different approaches. So I went for CBT, I went for counseling, psychology, psychiatry, went on medication. I literally tried everything. And for me personally, it wasn't just, you know, one approach did not cure me 100%. I made like small step pro, you know, progress and I got 80 percent of the way but there was something still holding me back and that's when I realized I hadn't done the work on you know my subconscious mind and all those beliefs and values and my identity which was stored right deep down you know after years of being the way I was so that's exactly why I kind of looked outside the box a little bit and went a bit (laughs) bit west in my um, recovery but I definitely felt for me combining approaches was the difference that made the difference. So what, what was it? So you said you were like, you were about 80% recovered. And then there was this 20% that hadn't been sort of worked on, which by the way, feels like a really important part. What, what was going on underneath subconsciously, things like that. What was that when you utilize the technique of hypnotherapy for you? Is this, I'm trying to piece it together of how you got to 100% recovery. Yes, that last 20% was cognitive hypnotherapy. So I actually stumbled across someone who trained in in that model. And I thought, oh, that's a little bit different. (laughs) I haven't tried that before. So I went and within six sessions, I just, I'd stopped relapsing. I felt different around food. I wasn't as consumed by food. My focus was elsewhere. And I finally kind of had a bit of a light bulb moment and was like, something shifted. That 20% is slightly, you know, something has gone on (laughs) deep down. And it's kind of hard to put your finger on exactly what it was. But as part of that process in itself, I just felt totally different around food. And that's half the beauty of this cognitive hypnotherapy. You know, consciously, sometimes you don't know really what's happened, but it's something shifted at a much deeper level. And that can either make you feel really curious or you can think, oh, I just want to understand it. But I had to kind of let that go in itself and just think I feel different. So something has happened. Yes. Well, it's interesting because I'm not hearing you say that hypnotherapy was the only thing. It was a collection of different models. And I feel like all the other models were just building upon each other. And I'm so glad you're saying that you had to go to many different approaches in order to be to really fully complete the process for you. Because so many people, and I've said this on other episodes, so many clients feel that they are the failure. If a particular model doesn't work for them, then they have failed. And 
everybody is different. Everybody's eating disorder is different. Everybody's personality traits are different. Everybody's perception, all of these things. So it it might take a, a few tries. Do you have any thoughts about that? Yes, I completely agree with you. And I think for people who have been struggling for such a long time, there is so much going on. So it can feel a little bit unrealistic to expect that, you know, one thing will will cure me. And that's how I felt is that I've been this way for the most of my life. And, you know, the way I do my eating disorder is probably very different to other people. And that's what I found, you know, attending support groups and going to meetings and talking to other people. Everybody's different. Everyone has their own story and their own way of doing their bulimia or anorexia, you know, the label does not necessarily define the person. And that I feel really strongly about that. And that's something that I use in my practice is not to apply the treatment to the label. It's, it's the other way around. You know, you've got to get to know the person, the way they think, the way they see the world and how they do their problems. And then that's what you apply whatever part of my treatment approach to that person. And I think that their labels can be amazing, but they can also kind of limit us in some, in some ways. And some people labels work very well and other people kind of push back. And that's exactly what I did. I pushed back against the label. I didn't want to accept it. And I fought that label the entire time, but I just didn't want it to hold me back. And I hope that makes sense. <laughs> what I just said. Yes. 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 When I was a clinical director for residential treatment centers, I used to say to the staff all the time, we have a new admit coming. They'll be here tomorrow at 9 a.m. And I always remind them. So let's say hypothetically their, um, their, their primary diagnosis is bulimia. I would always say, we are not admitting a bulimic. We're admitting a person that has bulimia. There's a big, big difference. You are not a bulimic. You are not a binge eater. You are not an anorexic. You are somebody that struggles with those symptoms. And when you can look at it from that perspective, you do acknowledge the whole person that is coming to you. Otherwise, like you said, you're just treating symptoms from from a diagnosis. I completely agree with looking at the behaviors around food as symptoms. And by focusing purely on the symptoms, you know, you're leaving so much underneath unaddressed. And I feel like the longer those things are left unaddressed, you know, the worse the symptoms can become. And that's when you can feel even more stuck than you have ever been before. Yeah. What do you think for you was the most difficult part of the recovery process? For me, it was definitely getting some structure to my eating because aside from eating disorder, I also suffer from a chronic digestive illness, which a whole other story kind of led me down that eating disorder path. So recovery was really difficult in terms of the food, which I know it is, you know, in, in everyone that's going through this. But for me, there was a lot of things I couldn't eat. And a lot of things I, you know, just had to completely avoid or cut out. And that in itself, you know, when you're trying to break free from your own rules around food, and then you're constantly being set more, 
it can make the process even more stressful. And I really struggled with that, trying to find that balance between maintaining my illness, as in my chronic digestive illness, and actually recovery. And I think that's why it took particularly long for me and them relapsing back and forth as a result of this real struggle with this, this food rules and kind of being limited in what I could eat. Mm -hmm. I I know this is sort of a provocative question, but with the amount of times that you relapsed, how is it that you didn't just give up? Because I'm imagining there are a lot of clients A lot of clients that are listening right now and saying, I've relapsed for five years, 10 years. I'm done. I give up. How did you not give up? I think this comes down to my personality. And I've always been someone with a, you know, a really big drive. And I've always, the one thing I can pride myself on, which makes it he makes the whole journey feel feel easier to to move on from is that I never let my eating disorder affect my life I still went to uni did masters worked full time exercise had a social life I never let it impact my life and even though at the time that was really hard to keep up I felt like I could keep going because I had so much going on in my life and so much that I could look forward to and I think that's the difference is I still had a forward focused motivator, something that even in those hard times, I was like, no, I'm studying, you know, I'm getting my degree, I'm working for this job. I've got all these friends around me. It kind of kept bringing me back to, to what I was actually trying to achieve. And that in itself kind of kept me going alongside being really close to my family who were absolutely amazing you know, throughout all that hard time. But it was definitely, you know, being able to just to keep forward focused in my thinking and my being motivated, for sure. Well, this is where we talk about what are you recovering to as opposed to what are you recovering from? And often what I say to clients is, and and again, I feel like I've repeated this on other episodes, but for you, Hannah, it was very concrete. For you, it was school. It was your friends. It was your master's degree. Some people don't know. They have no idea what they're recovering to because they're so entrenched in the eating disorder. And so I say, can we just talk about what it would feel like to recover to inner balance, peace, um, a sense of not not having your throat burning from purging. Can we just literally start slowly? It doesn't have to be grand. So, and and this is again where you and I are saying recovery is unique for everyone. How do you cope with underlying issues now that you are no longer in the eating disorder? And yeah, this is a another big talking point, which I discuss with clients a lot. And I sometimes feel that there's a lot of pressure to be recovered and have everything perfect and love yourself all the time. And, you know, have and all of this seems very unrealistic. And I'm quite open about where I am right now, as in. For me, like the definition of being fully recovered, and I say I'm fully recovered, is that I still have days when I'm anxious. I still have days when I get up 
and I feel bloated and I put on a big baggy hoodie and still have these days where, you know, I'm quite hard on myself and have that negative self-talk. But the difference is I accept them as being human and we all have these things and it's unrealistic to expect everything to be perfect 100% of the time. And it's that acceptance piece. And the difference is now that I don't even consider going back to my old ways. It's not even an option for me. And that's how I see recovery is, you know, you've got these, you know, these things that happen to everyone in life, but you've built a self-acceptance around them and you've built the skills to be able to just deal with life's challenges because, you know, a lot of the time eating disorders are a response to chaos and challenge that, that we're facing. So it's coming to this place of acceptance within yourself and also knowing that you don't need those old coping ways. You've built new ones. Mm -hmm. This is what I say all the time. It's not that people that are recovered are immune to waking up one morning feeling bloated, having a bad day, not having things go the way they planned. The difference is somebody who's recovered is not going to compensate in any way. They're not going to restrict their lunch because it happened. They're not going to binge and purge and not go to work. They're going to say, this sucks. And I still got to got to get on with the day. I still got to meet my friends for dinner tonight. I still, whatever it is, that's the difference. And one of the reasons for the podcast is letting, we are all human. So being recovered does not make you, make you have no human experiences. It's just how you navigate through it. Have you ever questioned your recovery? Oh, I questioned it all the time, <laughs> all the time. You know, in those really hard moments, you do. And I say, you know, I was forward focused and I had a lot going on in my life, but that didn't mean that I didn't have times where I just felt so hopeless and frustrated within myself. And I did question it. I did question whether I had the strength, the capabilities to just to keep going. But half the time I would let myself sleep on it and I would wake up and just think, okay, today's a new day. And it would be something as simple as that, is me just going to bed, switching off from how I was feeling and waking up and continuing to think forward. But it happened all the time. And at some points it would happen daily. With every relapse, every time I purged after dinner, I would feel like I was back at square one. And I think that's a really important point as well to make because like I said earlier, you know, I was you know, really active in my life and I held all this stuff going on, but that did not mean I didn't really question it at times because it is so hard. It is the hardest thing I've ever had to go through and probably I will ever have to go through. And many people go through their lives not having to face something like this. And it takes so much bravery and courage. And I just want to really say that with so much passion behind it. You know, this is something which most people will never, ever have an opportunity in a way to experience because this will show you how much you've got inside you to overcome this. And that, I think, sorry, I kind of went off on a tangent there, but it's something I feel very passionate about. It, it was absolutely beautiful. And I also say to people, it was by far the hardest thing I ever went through was being in the eating disorder, working through the recovery process and getting to be full, being fully recovered. 
And I don't say it to scare people. I say it to give them a realistic picture. So they are going to stumble and fall. They are going to, you know, go two steps forward, four steps back, one step forward. It's really, really hard. But it shifts throughout the entire process, right? It's not every day is the the same difficulty and whatnot until you're finally recovered. Things start moving on. Do you have thoughts that ever arise for you when you're working with eating disorder clients? I do. And at the start, I was a little bit skeptical and a bit nervous about going into it because I thought, oh, is this too close to home? You know, is this going to stir up my past life and all those old experiences? And at the start, it did. It did make me reflect back. And every time a client would say something to me, I would go, oh, my God, I remember that. And I remember how awful I felt. But instead of being skeptical and thinking, is this too close for home? I'm actually trying to turn that around. And that has been a process in itself for the last five years is to turn it into empathy and understanding and approach it in a completely different way rather than taking it personally. Because now this is not, nothing about me. And that was probably a bit of ego getting in the way, thinking, you know, is, can I do this? And is this going to stir up my old life? And I've always told myself, no, this is about other people now. I went through 15 years of hell. And for what? I always think that, you know, those 15 years were the hardest thing ever, but I have to do something with them. I have to use them for good. And that in itself is motivating, which has kind of pushed me down that road in those times where I felt that maybe I can't go into this area. It's, you know, I I went through all that, but what for? I didn't go through all that for nothing. And I love that quote. Yeah. Do you feel that this is why working with a recovered clinician is so... I'm going to use the word powerful. Like, do you share these these pearls of wisdom with your clients? Yes, I'm really open. Obviously, some clients need it more than others. So again, everyone's individual. But I I am open where where I can be. And I think looking back on my journey, I knew the difference between going to see practitioners and clinicians between the ones who had been in it themselves and the ones that had experienced an eating disorder to the ones that hadn't and it was a quite a clear difference and that in itself was you know a bit of a light bulb moment for me and that's what kind of even more so pushed me down that path is because I can be that person (laughs) to somebody else and give that level because you really need that level of understanding and empathy and obviously people in recovery who are, who have got support from their families and it's amazing but unless you've been through it, it's one of those things you know unless you've been through it yourself it's very difficult to understand and I, I think this still applies to to the medical field and the clinician world as well yeah you know I feel like I'm sort of backtracking a little bit but I I don't think your story is uncommon and I I kind of want to highlight it a little bit unless I heard you incorrectly you said you had GI problems and then the eating disorder. 
I'd love for you to talk a little bit about that because of two things. One, I have had clients that have come to me that unfortunately, from having GI problems, that's when they had to start recording their food, reading labels, you know, whatever it is, you know, fast forward, they're now in a treatment center for an eating disorder. So did that play into it for you? And how did you navigate through the recovery process with GI complications? Because it's, it's tough. Mm, and I think we, you know, there's a lot of talk around having GI problems as a result of eating disorders, but not as much as people who may have problems beforehand. And that's why I speak up about it now, because I think that atypical journey isn't as common or there isn't as much awareness. And I think for me, it traced back to when I was about 12 or 13, when all my GI problems first started. And this was a really slow process. So it went from 13 to 19, which is when my full-blown eating disorder kind of came about. And it was, yeah, a really gradual process of gradual having to cut out foods, like you said, having to watch what I was eating, always exercising constantly, then obviously being surrounded by diet culture, feeding into that. So it definitely had a part. And for me, it was the physical symptoms that triggered my eating disorder. It was the pain, it was the bloating acid reflux all of those things were the direct link to my eating disorder and I can trace it back so vividly and you know I'm sure there's quite a few other people out there who can also trace back to that very first time they ever did their problem behavior whatever that may be and I spent the next 10 years in recovery and that was as a result of the same, going through the same thing, again, tracking my food, watching what I was eating. But I had to equip myself with the right medical team for me. And that was really important part of the recovery process. And I went to see a gastroenterologist and some of their, their nurse biofeedback team. And one of the nurses actually said to me, "Hun, I see so many girls coming in with your digestive problems with eating disorders, it's not your fault. And I remember that meeting so clearly. And that was a bit of a, a bit of a moment for me because I blame myself for what has happened. You know, I've got this problem and now I'm creating even more problems for myself. But the fact that this nurse was like, oh God, I see this all the time. It gave me a little bit of reassurance that, okay, maybe this isn't my fault, you know. Maybe I can do this. And it just gave me a bit more, a bit of hope. Do you also realize that woman, person, nurse practitioner, I'm sorry, I didn't remember what you said that the person was, was basically treating you like a human being. There was no judgment and was so kind to you to say, you know, you're not alone. This happens. And it takes something as small, but kindness is not an act, is not a small act, but just kindness, compassion. Again, instead of looking at you as a label, as a diagnosis, she looked at you and said, you started with GI issues. It makes sense that now we're, we're here at the eating disorder. By the way, I'm not giving anybody with GI issues a hall pass to go down the path of an eating disorder, but it does happen. 
Is there anything that if somebody is listening to this, whether it's somebody in an eating disorder, on the verge of an eating disorder, or a parent, what do you what what advice would you have for them if their child has a GI issue to try to make sure they have their awareness of what to look for that their child is not going down the path of an eating disorder? It's one of those things where I feel like don't try and struggle on your own. Don't try and do it on your own. Don't try and do the trial and everything on your own because I that's what I did. I thought I can do this myself. I can go on Google and look up what I should and shouldn't be eating. And mum will help me and we'll just do it on our, you know, in our family within within the home environment. And that takes a long time. When you're trying to work these things out yourself, it can take double, triple the amount of time. So I always say to people, look, you need to get the right people involved. Do not try and do this on your own. It's just exactly the same advice as you would give someone with you know, a typical eating disorder. But I think the longer you try and spend in that discovery phase and trial and erroring, you know, and you can keep going back and forth. And for me, what that did was every time something didn't work, or every time something created a physical symptom like the pain or the bloating, I would immediately react from a place of fear. So that food, nope, I could never eat that again. And that was just off the table. And then I'd go on to the next thing. And when you're going through GI problems, half the time it's so difficult to work out what is doing what, what is affecting what. And you can become, you can be in this place of fear but just fearing everything. And that's what I got to. And I think that's what made my eating disorder a lot worse. So I can, I cannot advise strongly enough to go to the doctors, go to see a gastroenterologist and get that help as early as possible when those initial symptoms are being displayed. And don't do the trial and error on your own. Get the, get the professionals to help you with that. So you're coming from a place of confidence rather than fear. And for me, that was really important. I got to this point where everything scared me, everything I put in my mouth. I didn't know what to do. And that's when then I sought help, which was way too late. Mm. Can you share a little bit with listeners the way you work with clients now, given your experience and with the with the different modalities that you use? Yeah, of course. So when I first see a client would have a big first session, you know, go right deep dive into everything that they're going through. And for me, that's not talking about labels. Like I said, it's literally getting a really good understanding of how they do their problems, who they are, how their mind works, because everybody's mind works differently. And that really guides the types of exercises that we do and the techniques that I use, whether someone may be slightly more visual or someone may be slightly, you know, better listener or more about in touch with their feelings. That all really guides the types of exercises that we do together because it's got to work for that person and the way their mind works and how they do their behavior. So after that first session, what I'll do is go away and create a really personalized plan, exactly like I just said, targeting those really key issues and looking under the hood of the car. And I always say this to clients, you know, I'm going to, we're going to be opening up that car bonnet and getting right down to what are the things that are causing all of your behaviors around food and all of that pain. Because half the time I feel that we go straight to our behaviors around food and try and change them because it 
it feels the most painful, right? And it's the things that we feel that we can fix the quickest and the fastest, but that's often not the case. So I always explain, you know, we're going to get under the hood of the car. We're going to look at right those core issues first, look at your beliefs and how you see yourself and the way you view yourself before even talking about food. Because in my experience, if we go jump straight in on the food, obviously I'm not talking about in really extreme cases, but if we go straight to the food, it can be really scary and you can trigger that fear again. So I like to do a little bit of exploring work to start with, to just start to uncover those layers at a much deeper level. And that's where the, the cognitive therapy is really helpful to get down to that subconscious and see what is kind of stuck in there and what's holding them back before we even talk about food. Can you go a little bit deeper so listeners understand? I don't even know if I fully understand. What is hypnotherapy exactly? Are you literally bringing clients, like are they going under? Are they completely hypnotized? Can you say a little bit about that? Yeah, I think there's a bit of misconception around that term, hypnosis, and people get a little bit worried about going into trance. But I just want to point out that whatever you see on TV, you know, like the stage hypnosis, clicking your fingers and you're under and then you're dancing around like a monkey, that's that's completely, um, yeah, that's not the case in the therapy room. What hypnosis is, is just getting into a relaxed state. So very similar to meditation. So you do not have to be in some really deep, you know, state like you're asleep. It's literally just getting into a relaxed frame of mind. Because when you're in that state, your subconscious is active and your conscious mind is kind of shut off and out the way. So you can start to access everything stored in your subconscious, which again, are your emotions, which are your belief patterns and your identity, the values, all of those real core, core things. And it just takes a relaxed state. And half the time when the person's with their eyes closed, we'll be doing a little bit of of a combination of some practical techniques, which involves going back into the past and doing some reframing of painful memories or going out into the future, doing visualization of exactly like what you said Um, earlier of figuring out what they want instead, how they want their life to be like. And then literally just listening to my voice. Once we've got all of that information and done all of those reframing exercises, then just listening to my voice with your eyes closed in a nice relaxed state, just giving the mind time to just process all of the work that we've done. So it does take a little bit of like practical reframing, going back into the past, going out into the future, and then simply just eyes relaxed, nice and in the chair. Some people lie down, some people nearly fall asleep, but (laughs) that's all okay. Do you find, I'm, I'm thinking about a lot of the clients that I work with and it often takes them a long time to get into a relaxed state. Do you find that happening, that it's hard for them to drop into it? Or is it something that, I mean, by the way, Hannah, I could close my eyes right now with your accent. I could, I could be lulled into anything. So <laughs> I just want to say that right now. But I am also not in a heightened state of anxiety and depression and, and eating disorder and all that stuff. So do you find it difficult for clients to be able to drop into that relaxed place? 
Yes, it can be. And sometimes it takes a little bit of work on dealing with that resistance first and getting to a place of allowing that resistance or that feeling or that fear just to settle. And that's often the first step is helping them just work through how they're feeling right now before we then even go into that relaxed state. Because like you said, otherwise, if you're feeling tense and you're fearful, it's going to be completely, you know, it's just not going to be effective and you're not going to get the, the right benefits. So it does sometimes take a little bit of work through talking, through questioning, through a few emotional type release exercises very first to be able to get them to go, oh, okay, yeah, maybe I can try this. And it, it's just the case of that. It's like, okay, maybe, yeah, we can explore that now. But it, sometimes it does take a little while, especially with people who have been really anxious or they come to you and the relationship is new and they, you know, there's that trust issue at the start and they, you know, they're not quite sure. But that's all to do with, you know, making them feel at ease, isn't it? And, and that's the job as a therapist is to really, you know, get that relationship with your client to just help them to see that this is all going to be okay. And half the time it's reassurance, I feel. Yes, yes. And then can you speak a little bit to your coaching services? So the coaching services I trained as a life coach. So this is really helpful in terms of goal setting. So the main, the main way I use the coaching is to set goals. And exactly like you said earlier, I keep coming back to that actually in my mind where, you know, you said it's not about the big end goal. It's not about, you know, getting to the top of the mountain half the time. It's having really realistic and achievable goals set every single week, you know, so the client can go away. And that week, be constantly working on making small steps forward. And I feel that that's really important. Something I missed from earlier is that, you know, (laughs) our brains can't tell the difference between getting to the top of the mountain and going, yes, I did it. And then walking, you know, three steps up and turning around and going, yes, I did it. So that coaching aspect is really important in terms of just creating those little baby steps forward, constantly nudging, nudging, nudging forwards. Yes. I had a client the other day do something and uh, he was very proud of himself. And he said, I know this is really small and it's not a big deal. And I said, it absolutely is a big deal. Every step towards recovery needs to be celebrated because it's the eating disorder mindset that says it's all or nothing. It either has to be the top of the mountain or you haven't done anything. It's either, you know, I I have to do it all the way or what's the point in doing it? I say celebrate every single step. I think it's fantastic that you do that. Do you have any certain mantras that you work with? There is one that comes to mind is that everything will be okay in the end. And if it's not okay, it's not the end. And I use that in my recovery <laughs> for all the time. I love that. Will you, I would like you to say that again, just so we make sure our listeners really hear it. Say it one more time. Everything will be okay in the end. And if it's not okay, it's not the end. That is beautiful. Mm, it's something I used. Yeah, I took that throughout my recovery. That is really, really beautiful. And I think one of the things that it, it just touched me so much is my my father used to say to me, maybe not the way you had hoped it or anticipated, but everything does eventually work out. 
And it's similar to that. If you haven't gotten there yet, if it doesn't feel good, then it's not the end. And for, I think, clients with eating disorders, it's being able to adjust your expectations to more reality. Again, what the podcast is about, which is the, the reality of, of life being recovered. That is a beautiful, beautiful mantra. I'm wondering, you know, I'm I'm listening to everything, you know, the the GI issues, the amount of time you had the eating disorder, the the relapses and whatnot. What do you think is something unique that you've experienced that most people haven't? I would say for me, it does come back to the chronic illness and having a recovery journey, which includes a chronic illness. And that in itself was like hugely emotional. And I still struggle with that now, you know, dealing with my digestive condition. And I think that recovery is so hard in itself, but I found it particularly difficult because of the emotional stuff going on with my illness, not having that under control. So in a way, I was trying to recover from two things in one go. And both of them were not quick fixes. Both of them took a lot of trial and error and a lot of exploring, a lot of going to see different uh, practitioners and medical staff. And it was tiring trying to do both in one go. I mean, it's tiring trying to do just one. So I feel like that's something that's unique to me is, you know, being in recovery for two things at once and two kind of biggies, (laughs) two big things at once. And I'm lucky enough to get over one. And, you know, there's, I'm sure there's other people out there who are also with chronic illness, but it does, it does make recovery difficult. And you're, you're in recovery for two things. Yeah. Did you ever feel either misunderstood or did you feel that there were times when you were dealing with complications from the chronic illness and people just made assumptions that it was eating disorder related? How were the two, how how did you untangle the two? I think that's where I personally found it really difficult And knowing, again, like I said earlier, knowing kind of what triggered what and what was doing what and what was related to what. And in a way, at the very start of my recovery, I honestly, I used my illness as a bit of an escape goat for my eating disorder. And I think that in itself at the start delayed me entering true recovery because in my head, I had a chronic illness and that's the reason why. I had an eating disorder, which was completely true, but it did hold me back from really committing 100% to recovery. And it took a lot of pain. And like I said, this is why I relapsed back and forth so much. It took hitting rock bottom many times for me to stop using that as an escape goat and think I really, really need to do something now. And some people, it does take, you know, hitting that rock bottom to trigger true action. And I was one of those people. It took me many rock bottoms to finally say, no, okay, I can't keep hiding behind my illness anymore. I've got to do something about this. I am, I am really, really glad that you are bringing this up about owning hiding behind the illness because 
I have also worked with clients that do that as well. And by the way, I I do not know. Gratefully, I do not know what it's like to have a chronic illness with my eating disorder, especially a chronic illness about my GI, which affected the way I felt while I was trying to, you know, go through the the recovery process. It's complicated, right? It is really, really complicated. There was something I was just going to say. Give me a second. This happens all the time. <laughs> Forgive me. Oh, I'm so sorry. I, I <laughs> This also happens. I say, give me a minute. I'll, I'll have another thought and then I'll sort of come back and say, I remember what it was that I was, that I was going to ask. I guess, you know, I, I feel like to, we're, we're sort of winding down on the podcast. Um, and, and Hannah, it's, it's just been so interesting and I'm so grateful to have you on. Um, and again, I'm so grateful for you to talk about what it's like dealing with a chronic GI issue. And I, I'm, I'm curious, is it okay for me to ask you how you're feeling now with your GI symptoms? Yeah, of course. At, and at the moment, honestly, I'm struggling with it. And it's something that I haven't been able to manage fully yet. So I'm, I'm so grateful that I've got, you know, I've got past the eating disorder because this is, you know, this is really taking a lot of my time and energy. So I think, you know, if I was going through both right now, it may be a completely different story. So at the moment, it's, it's very, it's a very difficult condition because for me, a lot of treatments that I'm trying, they, I get very tolerant very quickly. So I'm constantly on the search for the next thing and the next thing and the next thing and nothing. I haven't found my thing that's made the difference yet, like I did with my eating disorder, I'm in that same stage of, you know, going four steps forward, five steps back, and two steps forward, five steps back. I'm in that exact same phase. And it is difficult. And the work I did on recovering from my eating disorder, as in the acceptance piece, I have to use every day at the moment. Otherwise, I'll get in that frame of mind of being really frustrated and feeling hopeless. So the work on acceptance has been my savior right now because I'm still, again, in that trial and error phase of trying to find something that's going to make the difference. Yeah. Yeah. I'm so sorry to hear that. And, and, you know, I do hope that there is, you know, light at the end of this tunnel. And I also am very, you know, very aware that this, somebody with a different constitution might have gone back into their eating disorder as a result. And so that's very, very impressive. Yeah. And it would be very easy to, honestly, it would be really easy to, because that this, where I am right now is what started everything in motion. But I've got a lot of tools now a lot of mental strategies, a lot of ability within myself to be able to, like I said, the acceptance piece is just one thing that I use constantly. But now I feel better resourced to be able to deal with all the anxiety and the stress and the pain now compared to 10 years ago when I had no idea what's going on. I didn't understand my mind. I didn't have a clue what I was doing or what, you know, what the impacts of my thoughts and feelings were. And that's something I do with clients, you know, is 
a lot of it is education, isn't it? And giving the clients a really good understanding of what is going on in their heads and having that awareness of how their mind works and what they're, you know, how they think and how they feel and linking that all together. That is huge. And that was huge for me and something that I use now, which I think plays a big part in me not even considering my old ways again. Yes. By the way, as always happens, I remembered what I was going to say. And one of the things that reminded me is I'm sitting here listening to you and I'm thinking the clients that work with you, the message that you're giving, all of this, we are all blessed. This is, thank God you are here to tell this story. And I always want to make sure that I say during episodes I never want clients to say, as soon as I hit rock bottom, then I'll turn it around because rock bottom is often death. And I'm so grateful, Hannah, that your rock bottom was not death. It is that serious of a disorder. I also say to clients, if it doesn't kill you when you get to rock bottom, it's going to be a lot harder to climb out. So I'm going to highly encourage you just keep moving forward from where you're at now. I think it, mostly I was just very grateful that, that you know, as I am, that this disorder did not take your life, did not take my life, other people that we know. Um, so I think that's, that's just what I was going to say. Yeah, it would definitely, it's, it's a really, like you said, it's a, such a serious condition, which is often downplayed. And I think we can't brush over that. And like, exactly like you said, my rock bottoms obviously felt like rock bottom for me, but some other people's rock bottoms may be a lot worse. And I was lucky that, you know, I didn't have to be hospitalized or anything like that during my journey. But some people are in a much, you know, in a place where they're struggling much more than I was. And we cannot brush over the seriousness. And, you know, it's, it scares me. It scares me when I think about that, in all honesty, that some people, you know, might go that way. And it's, yeah, it's one of those things where, like, I have to keep doing what I'm doing because, you know, if I can just help one person in that place, then I've done what I need to do, to be honest. Yep, I agree. I feel the same way. Hannah, we are just about to wind down. Is there anything you'd want to say before I end the podcast? Or I do have one more question for you, of course. But before we before we really close up, is there anything you'd like to add? It's just to say to people that it comes back to that mantra. If you're struggling right now, things will be okay and you'll get through this. No matter how many setbacks you have, I promise you coming from a personal perspective and all those struggles, you will do this. And if, you know, and if this is something that has taken your life for such a long time, you deserve to have a better life and you will have a better life. And you've just got to keep reminding yourself of that fact that this, this isn't going to define me. You know, I'm going to keep moving forward and just keep focusing on, on those little steps. Rather than the end goal and getting overwhelmed, just take one step a day. That's all I did. <laughs> Sometimes I say to clients, minute by minute, because then minute by minute will turn into hour by hour and then day by day. So sometimes it has to be in increments that small. 
Hannah, I do always like to end with a question that has nothing to do with eating disorders. So my question for you is, if you were a character in a movie, book, or television show, what genre would you live in? Oh, it'd be comedy. I've got into Brooklyn Nine-Nine <laughs> during lockdown. I am obsessed. So I'd be a character in Brooklyn Nine-Nine. It's absolute. <laughs> I love it. I'm all about comedy. It's what gets me through. I laugh at myself and I laugh at others. <laughs> you have, especially right now, you know, we have to, as, as much laughter as possible. It has to happen. It's the key pass in that good frame of mind. But yeah, Brooklyn Nine-Nine character all the way. <laughs> I love it. I myself am a Shit's Creek fan. <gasps> love it. Right? I mean, come on. I can't even believe I haven't brought Shit's Creek. I can't even say it right. Shit's Creek up in any of my podcasts yet because I'm so obsessed so obsessed with it yeah I've just finished it (laughs) I also watch things like Golden Girls and Everybody Loves Raymond so I have like a very eclectic comedic you know way of 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 ending my day shall we say so (laughs) Mm, yeah and it's the end of the day and that's exactly right you know when I've had a real you know tough day and I haven't felt well put on something like that and it just gives you a bit of a boost which sometimes you just need (laughs) I agree I agree Hannah it has been an absolute pleasure and again thank you for getting up and doing this at 6 a.m your time that is really really dedication so I just want to thank you for that No, it's been amazing. Thank you so much. I wish it could go on for a bit longer. (laughs) I know it's fun, right? I have a hard time. I'm always like, I could do do this for two more hours. So, but I, I also want you to start your day because it is Monday there for you. We are recording this on a Sunday at four in the afternoon, East Coast time. And it is Monday morning. Now it is 7 a.m. your time. Again, Thank you very, very, very much. Um, And I'd like to thank all the listeners. Thank you for tuning in to another episode of Recovery Bites, Real Talk with Recovered Professionals. I look forward to talking with all of you again next week. All right, everyone. Take care. Bye-bye. That's a wrap for this week's episode of Recovery Bites, Real Talk with Recovered Professionals. And I thank each and every one of you for tuning in with me. You can view more from today's episode, including guest information and excerpts by visiting www.karenlewisedc.com forward slash podcast. You can subscribe to future shows by searching Recovery Bites on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and YouTube. All right, everybody, be well, and thanks for listening to my Bite for the Week.